Turn with me, if you will, to John 10. And I am, of course, not Pastor Joel. You are correct. Joel and his family are in California. They're on vacation. So please be praying for them. This would be a nice time of vacation for them where they're with family. Going to the beach. It might not be as good as our beach, but it's still nice. I hope it's relaxing and fun for them. So we're going to be continuing our series through the book of John. It has been a whirlwind of a week for me and our family. We found out first that we are pregnant again, which is awesome. And we just bought our first house, which is crazy. And so yesterday, uh, we were taking down popcorn ceilings, and I was covered in dust when I got home. If you've ever done that, it's a messy job. And this whole week, I've been meditating on the fact that I am a sheep and that Jesus is my shepherd. And I've been reminded by that over and over and over. I have felt like a sheep this week. I am exhausted. But Jesus is an amazing shepherd. And we're going to read about that. In God's providence, this is the the text he has me preaching this week. So look with me at John 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord." I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And there was again a division amongst the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Jesus, you are our great shepherd, and I am just a sheep talking to other sheep, but Lord, would you work through me? 
Would I point your congregation, your flock to you, the good shepherd? Would they see you more clearly through what I have to say? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. For some of you, this may be a bit of a challenge. There might be a few more decades as I ask you this question than some others. But I want you to think for a moment. Did you ever go to the store with your parents as a child? Did you ever go and join them once? Wilson loves going to the store. Wilson gets to ride in the little cart that looks like a car, and so he's driving out through the the store. And he loves it because whenever he goes to the aisle that has balloons, he always shouts, balloon, balloon! And he wants us to always buy him a balloon, as if he didn't have enough balloons at home. He loves the store. Did you ever go to the store as a child? I used to go, and sometimes my mom would bribe me, you know, I could get like something from the the candy aisle or something if I would go with her. And sometimes this might have happened to you, and I wonder if this has happened to you, where we would be going to the store and I would see something and I would run and be like, hey mom, we need to get Reese's Puffs, right? And I would turn around and all of a sudden my mom isn't there. And so I began looking all throughout the store and I began walking up and down the aisles trying to find a familiar face and you get, you get to become more and more uncomfortable and anxious and you're like, am I going to have to live in the grocery store? Are they going to get me a job? Will they feed me? And then all of a sudden, you hear a voice over the intercom saying, Sean Dean, come to customer service, and I'm saved. But maybe you've had a similar experience. It's very uncomfortable and is very unnerving because it exposes to us in that moment that we are dependent upon our parents. We still need them for provision and protection. And now compare that for a moment to our culture. Compare that to what, what does our American culture hold up as an ideal? What is, what is the type of person that we love to read about? We love to hear about the CEO, right, who worked really long hours in his garage after work creating some amazing company that he started all through his own passion and hard work and grit. We want to be someone who is strong and independent. We want to be beautiful and capable successful, free. Now compare that to the image that we see in our text. What is the image that Jesus presents of us? A sheep. Do you know many sheep that are CEOs? Have you seen a CEO sheep before? When you think of a sheep, is the first word that comes to your mind capable, strong, and smart? You see, sheep are very needy, they are very dependent, and they are not the smartest animals. I was reading a a, a book, there's really a wonderful book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. I don't know if any of you guys have read this book, but it's written by a pastor who for eight years lived as a shepherd and a sheep rancher. And so he, he looks at Psalm 23, a very familiar text to many of us, but he has a lot of insights that we would miss because he used to live and work with sheep all day long. And so in his book, he mentions this thing that happens with sheep, where sometimes a sheep will become cast down. A cast sheep, if you did not know, is a sheep that is literally upside down. It is stuck on its back. And so he presents this image of a sheep just struggling with its legs up in the air, and it literally is stuck there and will die if a shepherd cannot come along and help turn it over. That is what a sheep is. That is how dependent and needy a sheep is. If a shepherd is not there to tip them over, they will die. And this is what Jesus is saying about us today. We are needy. We are dependent. Maybe we aren't as capable or as in control as we might think we believe about ourselves. But don't let that offend you 
Because Jesus has a lot of promises that he gives us in this text that are just so beautiful and sweet. Because if we are a sheep, then here's the amazing news. Jesus is our shepherd. And he is a good shepherd. He is the great shepherd. And as his sheep, we receive countless benefits. But we're going to look at three today for our outline of our text. The three we'll look at is if Jesus is our shepherd, then he promises us first connection, second, his care, and third, his compassion. If, he, if we are his sheep, we receive his connection, care, and compassion. Maybe being a sheep isn't so bad if Jesus is our shepherd. And now before we jump in this text, I want to just pause for a second and just remind us, you know, Jesus here is using the paint that is all around him. He is using an image of ancient Near East society. You know, we don't really see a lot of shepherds around us today, right? Maybe you live out very far in Molino, and you might have a, you know, a cattle shepherd or something. We might not see many sheep shepherds today. And secondly, he is using this language very intentionally. Because if you were a Jewish listener, your ears would perk up all this language about a shepherd. You would, you would remember it from the Old Testament that you heard so much about. And maybe, maybe you hear something. What's one of the first texts that comes to mind when you think of shepherd? Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Or maybe Psalm 80, verse 1. Hear us, shepherd of Israel. You who lead Joseph like a flock. Or Isaiah 40, 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are young. But the most strong connection that many Israelites would pick up hearing this language is Ezekiel 34. In Ezekiel 34, what we read is a condemnation from God towards the shepherds towards those who are supposed to take care of God's people, the religious leaders. This is what he says to them. He says, God tells them, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. And so in comparison, he presents a great coming shepherd, and this is how he describes him. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. Have we not just seen Ezekiel 34 played out right before our text? Remember John 9, what happened? Jesus healed a blind man, and what did the religious leaders do? They cast him out. Jesus restored him, and the religious leaders cast out the sheep. And so Jesus here is using his words with purpose. He's using this image of a shepherd very intentionally. And believe me, the religious leaders pick up on it. He is saying loud and clear, I am the good shepherd. And so if Jesus is our good shepherd, we receive connection with him. So look with me. Verses 1 to 6. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the great gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, 
but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. If someone came to your house and walked in through the doggy door or through the window, would you be a little suspicious of them? I think so, right? You wouldn't exactly start a pot of tea and start welcoming them into your home. That is what a robber, that is what a thief does. And so Jesus is making this comparison of a thief and a robber to a good shepherd. The robber slithers in and hopes to not be noticed. But how does the shepherd enter? Through the front gate. He walks right in through the front. And so in this parable, Jesus is describing a sheep pen, which would have been common in the ancient Near East. There would be these pens that would be within cities where shepherds would come into the cities and bring their sheep. And so we've got, we're given this image of a pen that is filled with all kinds of different sheep, of sheep from different flocks. And so our shepherd walks into this pen filled with different sheep, and he is able to pick out which ones are his own. That's actually kind of amazing, right? Imagine walking into a sheep pen and being able to distinguish your sheep from other sheep. That, des- that describes quite a lot of connection and familiarity with the sheep, does it not? That's kind of remarkable. But Jesus knows them by name. Jesus knows his sheep by name. One commentator I read commented that some shepherds actually allow tourists to come and to exchange clothes with them. And what they'll do is they'll allow them wearing their clothes to try and call out and get their sheep to come with them. And the amazing thing is the sheep actually won't come because they do not recognize the voice, which is what we read about in verse 5. They will only come to the voice of their shepherd, not of a stranger. But there's a lot of amazing truths in here that I want to point out to us. How amazing is it that Jesus knows us? Jesus knows each and every one of us by name. And I mean, he deeply knows us, truly and intimately. He knows us better than our spouse knows us. He knows us better than our best friend knows us. Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. The creator and sustainer of the world is a personal shepherd. He calls us by name. He knows every one of our names. Don, Jesus knows your name. David, Jesus knows your name. Frank, Jesus knows your name. How amazing is that? I think we can just read that and pass right by. Jesus knows our name. He knows all the hairs on our heads. He knows all of our fears. Jesus truly knows us. And look at the extent of this connection. Look at verses 14 and 15. I hope you didn't miss this. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. What is the extent that Jesus knows you? To the extent that he knows the Father. That is mind-blowing. That is, my sheep brain cannot understand what is being said there. That is infinite level of connection and understanding. Known by name by the great shepherd. And being known has some, there's something about being known that is life-changing for us. Is that not true? When I went to seminary, one of the things I valued most about my time in seminary was not just, you know, what I learned in the classroom, but one of the things that I really valued was my time with my professors. Because I got to go there and be there in person, and one of the things I got to do was spend so much time in office hours with my professors. And so there I would share about my my life and my story, and they would share about their life and their story. And so when I was in the classroom and they would call me by name, 
They knew the story that was behind my question. And they would empathize that and respond in kind. I appreciated that they didn't just treat me like a brain on a stick. They treated me like a person with a heart and a soul. And they wanted to form all of me. And so when I would go to them and, and, and pour out my life and they would pray for me, that was so valuable and rich to me. And I think that's so important for a pastor to, to receive in this seminary education. They knew all about me, the good and the bad, and they wanted to see me grow in all aspects of me. And I, I appreciate that so much. I think if I had done an online seminary education, I would have missed a lot of that, and I think it would have been to my detriment. But I was there in person, and my professors loved on me and prayed for me and grew me through that process. They knew me. And if being known is life-changing, then how amazing is it that our great shepherd knows us? That is the best news that we could ever receive. Have you ever felt that feeling where you're in a crowded room, maybe you're at some party and you feel alone, even surrounded by other people? That feeling that no one really understands you or gets you? Jesus knows you. Jesus is with you, and Jesus understands you. He promises you intimate connection and relationship. And he knows you as much as he knows the Father. But here is the amazing thing about this text. There is even more that he has to offer to us. Not only do we receive his connection, but we also receive his care. Look with me at verses 7 to 10. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Here, Jesus is referring to himself as the door, as the gate, as the only way into the people of God. Not only is he the only only entrance to the people of God, but he is also the protector of the people of God as the gate. I was reading one commentator about this passage, and he was telling a story where someone was speaking with a local shepherd, and he was walking with him, and he saw outside there was this outdoor pen. And he noticed something about this pen, that all it was was a bunch of walls, but there was no door at the front of the the pen. And so he asked the shepherd, what good is a pen without a door? What good is a pen without a gate? And the shepherd told him, I am the door. And what he meant by that is that he would lead his sheep into the pasture at night, and inside the pen he would sleep with his body at the front of the pen. He would literally act as the gate. The only way in was through him. So that as he slept at night and as his sheep slept, he knew that any predator, any thief, any robber was going to have to come straight through him. And that is what Jesus is saying to us today. Jesus is both the entrance into the pasture and he is our protection from thieves and robbers. He protects us and provides for us. And look at how he cares for us. Look at the extent of his care. In verse 9, He leads us out to find pasture. And in verse 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That is quite a mission statement, is it not, from our shepherd? 
to give us pasture, to, ha- to give us abundant life, especially when you compare that with the enemy whose, whose mission statement is to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus is to give us life and life abundantly. And when we say abundance, I think sometimes as Americans we can miss what is being said here, right? When we think abundance, we think abundance of stuff. Abundant life means more stuff, right? New stuff, more things. But does that satisfy us? Is that abundant life? No. Abundant life is satisfaction. Abundant life is restoration. Abundant life is joy and peace and hope. That is what Jesus provides for us. That is the abundant life that is found in Him. As Psalm 23 puts it so well, right? We can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and not fear because Jesus is with us. His rod and His staff comfort us. Even in the presence of enemies, Psalm 23 presents that picture of the Lord preparing a feast for us. Abundant life and joy, knowing that our shepherd is always there with us and knows us. Looking back on my childhood, I think a lot of that image that comes to my mind is of living as a younger brother with an older brother. That was what my older brother was to me in many ways. My closest brother in age is my brother Josh, and he's eight years older than me, but as a younger brother, I thought my older brother was the coolest person in the world. I was in elementary school while he was in high school, and so I have all these most of my memories are positive memories. <laughs> he always thinks that he was this terrible older brother, but I'm always like, no, I loved being a younger brother. And one of my good memories was, I remember one day I was at elementary school, and my brother actually got to come and check me out of school early, which I'm sure would not be allowed today, but somehow the security was a little bit more relaxed, and so I got to get out of school early, and I remember kind of like being called out and you know, kind of waving at my friends, being like, ha ha, like enjoy school, enjoy school lunch, ha ha ha. And so I'm leaving, and I get to go ride in my older brother's car. Like, oh, that's so cool. He's got a car. And he took me out to eat, and he paid for it. And it's like, whoa, he can pay for things. And so I got to spend the day with my older brother. Older brothers in their best moments are protectors, and they can even be providers. In their best moments, right? The only person allowed to bully a younger brother is the older brother, right? So if you have a bully... All you need to do is threaten them, like, hey, my older brother is going to take care of you if you, keep, if you keep bullying me. You have that image of stepping behind your older brother and feeling safe and secure. And that's, that's what my relationship has been like with my brother Josh. He had the resources and the skills that I didn't have, and he was a place of strength and safety for me. Well, here is the best news of all. Jesus is our older brother, and he is the best older brother. He is a greater protector than we could ever hope or imagine. With him, we are safe and protected. And Jesus is a greater provider than we could ever hope or imagine. Through him is pasture and abundant life. And I think this may be one of the most difficult things for us to accept. Right? As sheep, what do we do? Where do our eyes often go to? Anywhere but our shepherd. I was reading that the book that I mentioned earlier, he talked a lot about he he will have sheep that he leads them to this green, lush pasture. And what do they do? They walk off and go eat like brown, dead grass. And they'll go to some place that isn't safe. And so he as a shepherd has to go and bring them back and say, hey, look, good. And then what do the sheep do? They turn away. 
and they walk away. And we do the same thing as sheep, do we not? Over and over and over, we go to something for satisfaction, and it does not satisfy us. And so instead of turning to Jesus, what do we do? We find a new thing. And we keep going and going and going, and the cycle continues, and we find ourselves tired and unfulfilled and longing for restoration. And here Jesus is saying to us, I will give you abundant life. Whatever that thing is for you today, it will not satisfy you. It will not bring you the joy and peace and restoration that is found in Jesus. C.S. Lewis so famously put it, you put it so perfectly, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go out making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Our shepherd knows what is best for us. He knows where the green pasture is. And he knows where the still water is. And so let us trust him. Let us follow him. He will bring us joy and abundant life and restoration. But here is the amazing thing about this text. Not only do we hear about the shepherd's connection and care, but we see even more. We see the shepherd's compassion for us. Look at verses 11 to 16. As I read this, I want you to try and see if you hear anything repeated over and over. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. Did you hear that over and over and over? What did you hear? What does our shepherd do? He lays down his life for the sheep. Over and over we hear that from Jesus. Think for a second. What is the role of a shepherd? What does a shepherd do? What's in a shepherd's job description? Would you be a shepherd very long if your intention was to lay down your life for a, shepherd, for a sheep? No, right? If you're, you were set out to die for the sheep, you would not be a shepherd for very long. Because what do sheep do? They put themselves in positions where they will die often. And so as a shepherd, that's going to happen a lot. Maybe you might protect them and fight off a beast or a robber, but to die for sheep? I don't know about that. But Jesus is no ordinary shepherd, and he compares himself here to a hired hand. A hired hand, when a wolf comes, what does the hired hand do? He runs away. And he even tells us why. Why does the hired hand run away? Do you see that? Because he doesn't care about the sheep. 
But Jesus is not like a hired hand. Jesus cares for the sheep. He loves the sheep. He will die for the sheep. And we see that most clearly in Matthew 9.36. It says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion. It's that gut feeling within Jesus that when he sees us, when he sees the lost, when he sees the needy, the desperate, those stuck in sin, what is that feeling in his core? Compassion. Love. And this compassion drives him to action. He cannot sit back and watch his sheep in distress because they are alone and they are helpless and they need the great shepherd. They're stuck in sin and death, estranged from God and one another, and they need their shepherd. And remember, who was there? Who was supposed to be there to take care of them? The shepherds, the religious leaders, who we saw in John 9. What did they do to these sheep in distress? They cast them out. So Jesus sees this, and he's driven to action. And amazingly, you're in this text. You are in this text. Look at verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Who is Jesus talking about there? He's talking about the Gentiles. Those people that the religious leader would have never thought to include or invite. Jesus is saying, those Gentiles are a part of my flock. I will bring them in. The non-Jewish people. He has compassion for them. And that compassion drives him to verses 17 and 18. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus lays down his life, his life for the sheep, and he does so voluntarily. Growing up as a pastor's kid, there's, there's one image of this from a famous allegory that I, I just can't shake. It was something we were raised on as kids. And I don't know, for many of you, if you've read The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, it's a beautiful story. Maybe you've read it, or you've heard it on tape, or seen some of the movies. When I was growing up, we watched an old cartoon of The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe from 1979. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, but there's a scene in there that I, it just struck me so deeply as a child. And it's this picture of Aslan, the, the great king and creator of Narnia, who goes and is willing to die for the traitor Edmund. Edmund, of all people. And we see this picture of Aslan, the great lion, going to the, the witch and being tormented by these, just like, in the cartoon, they're just terrible-looking like, de- uh, like enemies that the, the voice actors on there just make the worst laugh possible and just <laughs> traumatizes me as a kid. But it's just, it's just not fun to watch. It's miserable to watch. And so you see this hero, Aslan, being mocked, and they shave him, and they bind him, and they're about to sacrifice him. And I remember the whole time as a kid just being like, Aslan, rip through those, those binds. Kill everyone around you. What are you doing, Aslan? How can you do this? I know that you can just rip through that and destroy everyone there. Just the injustice of the moment. It made me so mad. I remember getting so angry. I felt powerless. I wanted Aslan to break free. 
and he's killed. But that is not the end of the story. Because you go back and the table that he was sacrificed on has been broken and Aslan is there. He has been resurrected. This is not the end of the story. Lewis's story is a clear allegory of a much greater tale. The true and greater, the true and greater story. You see, our great shepherd has paid the ultimate price for us. He died on the cross for us while we were still sinners, like Edmund. While we didn't deserve it, while we were enemies to God, Christ died for us. He took on all of our sin and shame, the mockery, the injustice. He took it all upon Himself and willingly. And the story did not end there. Because death did not get the final say. John Piper says it well. The story doesn't end with a mangled shepherd lying dead among three dead wolves and sheep scattered, thirsting, and starving in the desert. What lay dead at Jesus' feet? Sin, death, and the cross. Jesus laid down his life. It wasn't taken from him. And three days later, he arose victorious. Our shepherd was victorious over, over sin, over death, over shame. And he rose. If our shepherd can defeat sin, then what do we have to be afraid of? Who better is there to follow? Who better could lead us to green pasture and to still waters? Is he your shepherd today? There is no better shepherd. He will love us with compassion. He will love us with His care. And He offers us His connection. And if He is not yet your shepherd today, I urge you to hear His voice and to follow Him. Let us pray. Jesus, You are a great shepherd and You overwhelm us with these promises that are hard for us to take in to believe as sheep. But Jesus, I pray that we begin to believe this more and more and to begin to follow you instead of all those other things that look like green pastures to us, but we know they do not satisfy, for you alone do. In your name we pray. Amen.